Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Oh my God, it feels like we haven't been together for ages. That's because the F1 season finished and we went... (sighs) But we are back, as we promised, to do a two-part season review. Now, we're going to split this into two with the bottom five teams we're going to cover on this episode. And then next time, we're going to do the top five teams. And, of course, because we have Abby, there's going to be a little little quiz in there as well. So, introducing my panel, um, we have Abby. How are you? I'm all right, thank you, Ollie. I can't believe that it's, like, two weeks till Christmas. It's this year, whilst there have been so many rounds of the F1 season, it feels like it's gone really quick, but also so. But I'm glad that we're all back together. How are you, Ollie? Well, you say we're all back together. Well, there is one member of the panel who is trying to get here, but is going to be late. So we're kicking off without him. Um, but we do have Sam on time. Sam, how are you? I'm perfectly well. Thank you, Ollie. How are you? Yes, very good. Thank you for asking. So without further ado, let's kick it off. So we're going to go in reverse order. Let's start by talking about Hass. Haas finished in last this season with 12 points. Um, Kevin Magnussen finished the season with three points. And Nico Hulkenberg uh, finished 16th with nine points. So, guys, what did you think of Haas's season? Now, Haas finished last in the Constructors' Championship for the second time in three seasons. So this is a continuation of form. Would we, would we say it like that? Did we have higher hopes for Haas this season? I think 
I did. Because obviously in 2022, they finished eighth in the constructors on 37 points and they had Nico Hulkenberg returning this year with Magnussen. And I felt like that was a strong partnership. Obviously, they struggled a lot more compared to other teams in terms of development with the car. And they did see quite a few DNFs. I mean, Hulkenberg had three, Magnussen had five. But it it was a shame because Hulkenberg, he in particular, was very strong on his qualifying in some races. I mean, in Canada, P2, yes, he received a penalty and started the race in P5, but he managed to put his Haas on the front row, which was very out of the ordinary. Magnussen last year, he got pole in Brazil, I think it was. So I did have high expectations, but I feel like they struggled a lot more with developing the car and the struggles that they did have with the car, particularly tyre degradation, hindered their season a lot because good qualities didn't turn into good race results. So I can see why they're 10th in the constructors, although I did think Alfa Romeo would be 10th. But yeah. Well, we've seen this before with Haas. Was it 2018? I think it was the... Or 2019? One of the years where they had a very, very quick car on a Saturday. But on the Sunday, they'd just fall back. And I remember Magnuson and Grosjean, just the frustration within the team. And they were really struggling to put points on the board. I think it, I think it was 2019 after their... I think they had a particularly strong 2018. And that has now carried over into a whole new set of regulations. They know how to put a quick car together. They don't know how to put, put a consistent race car together, though, that is going to be easy enough on the tyres, is going to be able to, to go, you know, to, to do 300 kilometres at uh, the performance it needs to. So, yeah, I think that is is a big part of it. Um, I think they're disproportionately good in qualifying versus disproportionately bad in in the races, which most of the other teams in the grid, maybe, you know, Ferrari are kind of a a high-performing uh, comparison that have a similar issue, but most of the teams on the grid have a, a much more level in terms of kind of their their one-lap pace to their race-based. Hulkenberg has come back and looked made Kevin Magnussen look ordinary. He's been very, very strong, far stronger than any of us really thought he would. And Kevin Magnussen... It's difficult to say he had a bad season. Yes, he had more uh, retirements. I think 22% of his races ended in retirements compared to 9% for, for Hulkenberg, as you kind of were mentioning. I think it's three versus five in actual real numbers. But his best position was 10th. Hulkenberg achieved a seventh place in Australia. So it's it's kind of difficult to appraise their years because they were quite diff- different in that sense. I do think Kevin Magnussen could be on the way out next year, though. Hulkenberg has, yeah, I think shown what can be done in that house. I think it was what, like eight or nine times he made to, made it to Q3, which is pretty impressive given that they finished last in the constructors. And just on Hulkenberg's um, P7 in Australia, eight cars failed to finish that race, Magnussen being one of them. So that made it easier for him to get into the points and that. But I do agree, Sam. I feel like Magnussen, his time in F1 may be expiring. I feel, I feel like, though, Magnussen, his, if you look at the grid, right, and you would say, right, who are the drivers you would want 
just to be able to bring in the results. And and you know they they have got a strong driver lineup. Yes, they're a little bit older. Um, and I, I do agree, Magnussen. It, it feels like it's been a nice return to F1, but it's not a long term thing. Um, but they are two world class drivers. Um, the car, obviously, we know the car. It didn't have the the race pace, and they brought this huge upgrade uh, for the United States Grand Prix, which absolutely failed to the point where, when we went to Vegas, they had to revert back to the original spec car. I mean, you know, we've all watched Drive to Survive, whether we like it or not is one thing, but it just does feel like Haas just can't get off that excuse the excuse the term here, but the starting grid when it comes to car development, they they just can't make it work throughout a season. They either start well and just fall back um, or, or completely revert. Or just start badly and decide, you know, what this, this year's a, a wasted, <laughs> you know, and we're not, we don't yeah. give up. Was it, was it, no, but was it 2020 with Schumacher and... Mazepin, yeah. And Mazepin when it was, the car was awful. Mm. And they were just like, you know what, we're, we're just going to focus on 2021. Yeah, it didn't feel oh, that yeah. bad this year. I mean, that was... Well, no, it was 2021 that that happened. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And then, obviously, the new regulations. Uh, the things, again, talking about kind of it being difficult to appraise the the, the seasons of the, both of them, Magnussen made it into the points three times. Hulkenberg only twice. So, I mean, and I think pretty sure one of those was the Austrian sprint race. So, actually... Maybe now I'm kind of looking more kind of forensically at this. Magnussen season isn't as awful as it maybe appears to be. He is a reliable driver. He is quick. He clearly can't turn it on over one lap the same way Nico Hulkenberg can at this stage. But you know, it's it's difficult. I think their season feels so much worse because we're looking at it from the lens of do you remember the the, the P5? that Magnussen got on his re-debut in Bahrain last year. That's 10 points in the bag. That is, you know, almost their entire haul for this year in one race. So I think the expectations were higher, whereas realistically they have fallen to the back of the grid and, yeah, they'll punctuate that equilibrium every now and again like last year. But they are that team in F1 at the moment. Who do you think's the most exciting driver it has? And I, I actually say this is a bit of a loaded question because whenever Kevin Magnussen is anywhere on a grid close to other cars, it's exciting to watch. It doesn't care if it's Lewis Hamilton next to him. He is the same driver and he will always be the same driver, which gives him that very exciting sort of element to watch Kevin Magnussen drive, which is why I've always liked him as a driver. Nico Hockenberg just seems like Mr. Under the Radar, consistent in comparison. Is that not a good thing, though? I think both are he, good, right? Because you need you need some yeah. excitement. It's 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 they their lineup feels quite chalk and cheese. It feels like they you're right. They kind of balance each other. They they soften the edge, the the sharp edges of each other quite well. I personally think Hulkenberg has more to give. And you know, Abby, you know, you mentioned Australia. Obviously, you're right to kind of you know put that caveat in there. That could have been, could have been a P3 or P4 had it not been for that that penalty that he received. And that would have, you know, been you know, I, I don't know where they would have ended up in the constructors. I, I assume they would have overtaken Alfa Romeo, but I don't think they would have gone past Alfa Tauri. But that would have changed the whole perception 
Nico Hulkenberg getting his podium final, finally, I think it would have been potentially enough for them to go, you know what, we're sticking with Hulkenberg, we'll bring someone else in. I think, yeah, I can't see that that lineup changing, uh, staying the same come the end of next year. I agree. I think at the moment, they're working. I think the main issue is, like you said, Sam, they can get a quick car for quality, but they're struggling to maintain that pace during the races. And Hulkenberg said about the upgrades in Austin that you mentioned, Ollie, they they just didn't work. And the issue is when you bring an upgrade package, you need it to work. You need to see the results. We saw Aston Martin, they were bringing upgrades and were falling back through the pack. And then they reverted to an old spec car, just like Cass did. It, it works with Mackinson and Hulkenberg at the moment. And I think if Haas can get a strong enough car, get a fast enough car that doesn't completely ruin the tyres too quickly, then I feel like they could have some really promising seasons. But I do agree with what you said, Sam. I think 2025 or definitely 2026, it won't be Magnussen and Hulkenberg as the Haas driver lineup. No, because you're, you're right. Yeah, Hulkenberg's getting older and, and Magnussen's maybe not making the grade he should. But I'm, I'm just now looking at, at their, their results across the year. There's, aside from their points finishes, there's one 11th place, I think. A couple of 12ths, but realistically, it's mainly kind of 13th through to 14th, 15th, 16th as their best finish out of the pair at any given race. That's not good especially when you think about how well Hulkenberg has been qualifying he's dropping like a stone in the race it and you know you, you factor in retirements for other cars in there as well they are really really I think a long way from where they want to be or, or, or need to be but yet somehow we've both kind of concluded that the lineup's all right they're doing okay it doesn't feel overly negative. It just feels like, yeah, you need to kind of sort out how heavy you are in your tyres and then you'd, you're up for a winner. I'd much, I think I'd much rather kind of, yeah, make a quick car good in race pace than having to try and find pace in a, a slow, reliable car. Well, on that, Hulkenberg, looking at a spreadsheet that my dad and I put together, he is the driver that has lost the most positions over the whole of the season from qualifying to where he finishes in the race. Oh, no, he hasn't. Leclerc has. But Hulkenberg, 53 positions that oh, he's lost. Poor Charles. <laughs> no, poor no, Charles. We're talking, we're talking about the worst team. And, and Charles found his way in there. <laughs> that but is proper Hulkenberg. collateral damage, isn't it? The straight bullet <laughs> finds him. But Hulkenberg, anyway, he's lost 53 positions, which, like you say, considering where he's qualified... He has been up there, and when you think of qualifying, he he's not a standout driver, but he's one where you would bring him up in conversation and go, oh yeah, Hulkenberg in the house, he's qualified really well. To lose that many positions, it's, it is such a shame to see, because he is a good driver. Well, I, I think, you, uh, happy if I'm being honest, I think you're doing him a disservice with that, because if you use Magnussen as a benchmark there, yeah, is, is the Haas actually quite quick and Magnussen's underperforming? Is Hulkenberg overperforming? You put Hulkenberg in a fairly decent car, say, stick him in Alpine. I think he could be on for a really strong season. I think he would definitely be kind of in that Gasly Ocon ballpark in terms of where he is. So, yeah, I, th- I think really he is outperforming the car at this stage and. 
Mm. I think his age will see that he doesn't move further up the grid or, you know, maybe kind of, you know, get other opportunities. But I think he's had a really strong season in that sense. And I think on a, on a Sunday, the car clearly doesn't work because they're both falling back in the race. Mm. Sam, I think you've hit the nail on the head with Haas where, you know, they've got something that can work. They just need to tweak it. They've got two good drivers. Um, Anyone who's watched F1 for a long time will know that Nico Hülkenberg can drive um, and is an extremely good driver. I'm not saying Kevin Magnussen isn't. Um, But one car where they're going to need to completely start again from scratch for next year is Alfa Romeo, who finished the season in ninth with 16 points compared to Haas's 12. Um, Guan Yu Zhou finished the season in 18th with six points and Valtteri Bottas finished in 15th with 10 points. Now, I think Alfa Romeo owe Valtteri Bottas quite a lot because he really has been the face of this team, whether it be a nude calendar that he's brought out or the the, the mullet that he turned up with um, this season. He really has kept the spotlight on the team. Um, and he's also, as we know, a very good driver. He's proved himself at Mercedes, but it was a disaster of a season for Alfa Romeo. Um, what do you guys feel went wrong from sort of the beginning of the season? Well, just very quickly, Ollie, on on the kind of Valtteri Bottas point, in terms of marketability, he's almost the F1's equivalent of Ed Miliband. <laughs> like, do, you remember, do you remember when he was Labour leader and it was so controlled, his his image and everything he was doing, and it was so, you know, prescribed, you know, do this, do that, you know, be very kind of you know, serious. And as soon as he wasn't Labour leader, he was cracking jokes about like, you know, there was a photo of him in... Um, with two blonde women, and he was like, oh yeah, me, you know, blah, 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 caption, I'm the one in the middle. And he was like a lot more fun, he had a lot more personality, and it's like they've literally just unleashed Valtteri Bottas and be like, look, be yourself. Yeah. From a marketing perspective, it's been, he's been a revelation. Mm. And I think he's brought a lot to the team in that sense. So yeah, that's obviously a total side point, because it doesn't matter how you know, kind of fun your moustaches when you put a helmet on. Um, But since midway through last year, they have just really struggled to perform. For me, I think it's because, I don't know if you remember, because they've got quite a short wheelbase car, it's quite um, light compared to some of the others. So I think they were actually the first to get, or they were the lightest car at the start of last season. And they used that to good effect. It was obviously an advantage against their competitors. As everyone else has improved and Alpine managed to get below the minimum threshold and were the first to, so they could then add a ballast to where they wanted the weight in the car. But Alfa Romeo were able to do that to their advantage. Since then, they've really, really struggled. It's been, it's been really difficult. On that short wheelbase point, you see in race in tracks like Hungaroring or Zandvoort, where it's not particularly kind of um, high speed intensive, that they actually perform better. They had some stellar qualifying sessions there, the two of them. I don't like. I don't know if it's that the Alfa Romeo aren't doing enough by Valtteri Bottas, but I think they they were they're relying on him heavily. Um, when you look at their lineup, and you know, we'll go on to that in a second when we kind of break down the, the both of their seasons. But there, there for me, it's weird. They outscored Haas, they finished ninth, but for me, they're the ones who I'm really disappointed in. And all of a sudden, they've kind of ended up in that position where they're 
the second worst or worst car on any given weekend. And I kind of can't, uh, I don't know where it's ha- when it, when it happened. I kind of can't, you know, didn't really notice them get into that state. I feel like, Sam, I didn't really notice them all season. I mean, there, there was a bit of hope around uh, Guan Yuzhou, um, but they, they reached Q, Q3 seven times. They had seven points finishes. Um, best finishing position, eighth, 60 NFs, leading up to 16 points. It just feels like, what were you doing? Um, Abby, what are your thoughts on them this season? Um, do you... I mean, they have said that they've they've going to completely scrap this car, um, especially with the addition of James Key from McLaren, who they've got for next year. So they know that the the car was a dog. They need to start again. But this season, it was really meh. It certainly was. I mean, 2022, they finished sixth in the standings on 55 points. This year, they've got 39 points less. And like you said, Ollie, I feel like I haven't really heard or thought about them much throughout the season because they haven't they haven't done anything amazing or had some like really great results but then they haven't always been the worst either but it it is a shame to see and I would love to know how they are moving forward next year. Like you say, they're going to scrap this year's car because it clearly is not working. I mean, the highest qualifying position for both of them was in Hungary. Bottas qualified seventh and Joe qualified fifth. But in that race, Bottas finished 12th and Joe finished 16th. So they unfortunately haven't done as well. And I feel like they're the team that I would pick to say the season has been been one of their worst not necessarily in terms of points in that but just because it has been very lackluster and underwhelming and it is a shame because I feel like Joe has a lot of potential and Bottas he is a great driver we know that we've seen it at Mercedes but something with Alfa Romeo is just not working weirdly though this season has been an improvement on the second half of last season so they scored the vast majority of their points in the early early part of last season. Does it, so they scored 55 points, as you mentioned, Abby, and I'm glad you brought it up. Guess how, so in the first nine, of the nine rounds of the season, they were in pretty good form. Can either of you guess how many points they scored in the final 13 races of last season? Not a lot, but I do remember that they did have a lot of DNFs. Not, not, I not a lot. Uh, I reckon it was between zero and ten. It was four. <laughs> yeah. They scored four of their 51 points. Wow. In the final 13 rounds of last season. Yeah. I just, that is such a perplexing change in form. Mm. It is, because I, I remember we talked about last year, saying it was the, the antithesis of Aston Martin season, where they just went from strength to strength in, in the back end of the campaign. Vettel seemingly kind of, you know, um, given a new lease of life post-retirement announcement. But Alfa Romeo, it just, yeah, they, it's just all fallen apart. And now there's rumours of Audi potentially kind of, you know, not being completely invested in the in the in the project. Obviously they'll re re become Sauber uh for next year with Alfa Romeo stepping away from the sport for now. So I can't see it being particularly promising moving forward because this is a car they've invested two years into. And the fact they're having to completely scrap it isn't a good sign. You look at the drive line, like Vatra Bossas is, you know, 
performed very, very well in the first part of last season. I, you know, it's difficult to tell with the numbers, but he's kept that level of, of performance from what I can tell. Joe, interestingly, scored the same number of points this year as he did last year. So is that progress? Because I remember he he was very looked very kind of comfortable, very secure in his seat. And then all of a sudden around Zanvoy, it was a, oh, he could be replaced. And they ultimately have retained him. But I'm sorry, I'm, I can't help but feel, would you not move on to Terry Portier at this stage? Because, and it might sound really, really harsh, but part of me feels that the part of the reason he was retained for this season was because of the horror crash at Silverstone. There was this very big feel-good story around mm. that he was okay and that, you know, it was horrific and, oh my God, we really need to readdress safety. So, Sam, hold on. You're saying, because he had a very big crash, he got a seat for the following year. I know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying it as black and white as that, but I think it somehow kind of warped our perspective of of how well he was doing. And bear in mind, I am someone who's always, always advocated for young drivers having more time than they're given. Mm. You know, I've, I've said it about Logan Sergeant all season. Logan Sergeant, and, sorry. Logan Sergeant all season. <laughs> Have another Bailey's. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think the same, I think it was the right decision to give Joe a second season. I think what you're saying, Sam, is, if I've, if I've interpreted it right, because I know you quite well now, is you're saying it put the spotlight on him. Suddenly everyone knew who he was. And that was a reason to keep him on, rather than he crashed and he got his seat. It was actually, okay, the focus is on him now. Everyone's looking at him. Let's see what he can do. Because part, part of the reason that there are detractors or doubters about drivers like Joe Guan or Logan Sargent is that people just don't, simply just don't know enough. Yeah. They see the results and they don't know the context. They go, I thought F2 was a spec series. Mm. Yeah, it is. But are you telling me that a, a, a PHM is equal to a Prima? Mm. Absolutely not. Hmm. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's definitely clear, Sam, that we've got a, a one and two driver at that team. You know, Bottas is yes. leading the way. And it may be for someone like Pacher, who will come into that team at some point. Maybe the team's just not ready for him yet. Um, you know, if you've got, you know, he might not want to join the team yet. Obviously, everyone would want a seat in F1. But when you're going guaranteed to the back, it's not very appealing, is it? Well, I mean, given that only a matter of days ago, Terpo Chair said publicly uh, that he's a bit confused as to why, or a bit disappointed rather, not confused, he's disappointed that he hasn't got the seat because the target he was given for last season was to win the, the F2 Championship, which he did. So I can understand it from his perspective. I'm sure Abby will have an opinion on this, but for me, I feel that Porcher's ceiling is higher. Joe is more, maybe a more consistent and dependable hand at this stage, but I think Porsche has more natural, raw pace and potential. Yes, I agree um, with basically all of what you just said. It, I feel like, like you guys said, Joe retained his seat because the attention was on him. There may have been a little bit of sympathy that came into play, but. I think moving forward, one, Alfa Romeo need to sort out their car. But two, there is, for me, there is a clear disparity between Bottas and Joe. And Alfa Romeo rely heavily on Bottas to carry that team. 
Joe has had some good results, but I do feel that Teo Porcher is is the more logical choice to as a driver to put into the team if they want to progress and score more points because we've seen what he can do in F2. Maybe they haven't given him the seat because it went down to the final race in F2. He didn't just walk away with the title. I don't know, but I I think Porsche should be in F1 Alfa Romeo. Well, whatever team that they end up putting him in, he's part of Sauber. Sauber. But he should be in F1 soon. Okay, so moving on to the next one. Now, this is an interesting one. Alpha Tauri finished eighth, 25 points. So in, in the grand scheme of things, we're talking one race wins worth of points between the 10th, 9th and 8th. Um, now, this team had four drivers this year. So we ha- we started the season with Nick de Vries, um, who finished 22nd in the championship with Neil Poir. Um, we had Liam Lawson finishing in 20th. He wasn't in the car for all of the season, obviously. Uh, he had two points. Daniel Ricciardo returned to F1, finishing in 17th with six points. And Yuki Tsunoda holding the team up, the only driver to sort of stay in this seat the whole uh, season. Um 17 points, finished 14th. Interesting year for Alpha Tower. We, we, we know it's a Red Bull sister team. Um, and should we start by talking about Nick DeFree's scenario? I think it's a natural point to start. Um, Sam, what were your thoughts on that whole debacle? I thought that... Um, how, do I, how do I put this eloquently? He got shot. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's brutally harsh. It was, to be fair, it? Yeah. I think it Bruce is absolutely cutthroat. This is F one, and you know, if you if you want to go for a cut, the the most cutthroat of a cutthroat sport, you're looking at the Red Bull family, really, aren't you? Um, somewhat ill advised. Mm. He had a strong result at Monza in 2022 in a car that leans towards performing well at that type of circuit, might I add. And a Williams as well. Yeah. And I want to caveat this by saying that he has clearly proven that he can compete with the best. He's won a Formula E championship, an FIA world championship. He also did win F2. However, it was what, his third or fourth season? He was like 24. So, you know, you can add the stipulations and so on and so forth to that as well because, you know, we know that year on year you're going to improve in F2 because of how much experience you're getting, yada, yada, yada. However, I just don't think they gave him enough time. I just don't think it was the right environment for him. They didn't mesh, it didn't gel. Just, and part of me kind of feels like, you know what? You called it early, fair play, credit to you. It's brutal, but you were like, this isn't going going how we want it to. The best thing to do is just to move off from this and move on to the next driver or bring Daniel back in, so on and so forth. I felt really bad for him. He just kind of, kind of felt like he just kind of shut down a little bit in almost this self-preservation because he was getting a kick, a kicking in the media. And that kicking in the media, let's be clear, wasn't coming from media who are, you know, launching think pieces about, you know, oh, he needs to up his game, blah, blah, blah. It's not the way that Sergio Perez is often treated. This was coming from Red Bull. 
this was coming from Helmut Marco, from you know people that are meant to be on his side. Basically, trying to use it as a, almost a motivational tactic or technique. And clearly, Nick DeVries is someone who just doesn't respond very well to that. It just didn't work. It didn't reinvigorate him, reignite him, get him going. And what what round was Britain? Ten? The British Grand Prix? That is a, an awfully, awfully short stint to give him. And I, this is coming from someone who thinks that drivers should have a couple of years, really. The best result, 12th in Monaco. Got a 14th in Spain. Started with a couple of 14ths. It wasn't awful, but I think the obviously point of comparison was that Yuki Tsunoda had two points on the board by then in what looked like the worst car on the grid. Also, in the first five races, aside from those two P10s, was at three P11s. The delta felt too big. Did we know that Yuki Tsunoda had taken the step forward that he had at that stage? I don't think we did. I think we kind of thought, well, if Yuki Tsunoda of old is performing like this, how bad is this guy doing? So again, it's that perception thing. It's it's very difficult to really see how well you're doing. All you can do is try and beat your teammate, and he was far from that. So they decided to call it early. And yeah, as I said, to a certain degree, you've got to respect that. Yeah, and it, <clears throat> the timing didn't help at the British Grand Prix where Red Bull decided to put Daniel Ricciardo in a car for a test run where Ricciardo was only a couple of tenths off Max Verstappen's time. Now, whatever circumstances that may be, whatever tyres, fuel that was in the car, it's an impressive Impressive thing to put into the media, Sam, and you're talking about media here, and media is ultimately what Red Bull need to keep happy. And ultimately, they've gone, well, Ricardo can drive pretty much as fast as Max Verstappen. Um, let's put him in the Alpha Tauri. Everyone, you know, everyone thinks highly of Dan Ricardo. We've missed him in the sport, that's for sure. And it felt like just the the stars had aligned to move Nick DeFries out and still keep the fans relatively happy. Um, Abby, what was your take on, on, on that switch, bringing Daniel Ricciardo back in mid-season to replace Nick DeFries? Well, first of all, I think Nick should have been given till the summer break. They said that they were going to give him till the summer break. And yes, Sam, you do have to give a little bit of respect to them knowing that it's not working out. So they made the most logical decision for the team. But it was such a shame because this was his first time being a full-time F1 driver. And like William said, they're giving Logan time to develop. Now it is AlphaTauri, it is the Red Bull family, it's a very different environment. And I don't think DeVries gelled well or got on with everybody in AlphaTauri. I think if he was in a different team, like Williams, where he did really well in Monza last year, it could have been a different story. But with Daniel Ricciardo... Everyone loves Danny Rick. It was good to see him back on the grid. I was a bit sceptical about him being the one to come in because I I was thinking Lawson. And obviously we do see Lawson in the AlphaTauri once Ricardo injures himself. Um, but Ricardo scored points. P7, highest finish for the team in Mexico. Highest finish all season. So yes, whilst AlphaTauri have got less points than they did last year. They finished higher in the championship. So they managed to turn it around and Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda seem to be a good pairing for the team. But this is, and you started to touch upon it. I think the really interesting comparison here is Lawson versus Ricciardo. They got the same number of points finishes. Obviously, Daniel Ricciardo had that stellar, stellar weekend in Mexico. Also, remembering back to 2022 he also had a very very strong Mexican Grand Prix 
at McLaren. And that was in that, you know, that kind of lame duck period where we knew he was going and, you know, it was all kind of how he'd been treated by the team and so on and so forth. But if you look at the rest of his results, sandwiching that P9 for Lawson was a pair of P11s. Ricardo only achieved one more P11, and that was in the last race in Abu Dhabi. The rest was a pair of 13ths, a 15th, and a 16th. And it obviously was withdrawn from um, the Netherlands. And a 14th as well, sorry. And anyway, so actually, I'm not sure how impressed I am with Ricardo's comeback. And I think Lawson... Had known know, knows the team well, knows the family, and that's where he was able to kind of steal a march on Nick DeVries, right? He was much more comfortable with his surroundings going into the seat. He'd obviously driven it, he'd you know, done much more simulator work, and you know, he'd had five races to Nick DeVries' ten and had a better better time of it, clearly. The car was obviously developed more. We the AlphaTauri by the end of the season was significantly better than the AlphaTauri at the start of the season. So there's all these different factors in there in play there. Nick DeVries was not the right driver. Mm. I think as, as as harsh as it was, and yes, he should have been given more time, and I disagree, and I still do with their decision, and yes, I still respect their decision and kind of see the their side of it. I think really, for me, Liam Lawson would have been and is the right choice for that seat. I think Daniel Ricciardo is still has still got it. But actually, I'm looking at that little kind of you know five race run for Lawson. And I'm I'm thinking he's I think he's done enough to warrant a seat. Mm. And I think realistically, I think a big part of why they didn't put him in the car when Nick DeVries was uh, was was sacked is because of his Super Formula campaign. Mm. I, I'm with you, Sam. And I was saying it at the time on all of our race reviews. I think Liam Lawson is is an incredible driver to just step in. You know, Daniel Ricciardo had an accident. There was no plan there. We didn't know he was going to be in the car. And to to do what he did at Zamvort was, was just incredible. And it, there is a lot of talk of Daniel Ricciardo driving the development of this car forward because he, he's got that experience. He knows which direction it's going. So I think Daniel Ricciardo's got that that value for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Liam Lawson, he's just got that young blood where, let me add it, I'll show you what I can do. And in my opinion, he absolutely did show me what he can do. Um, and you've got to remember, he was driving an Alpha Tauri. You know, he was he was there. He, he was right by the points, like you've said, Sam. Yeah. I absolutely loved watching Liam Lawson. You know, he may be my driver of the, of the season, um, for the short impact he had. Yeah. It was, you know, it was an incredible campaign to watch. Is it, and it's interesting as well, because I think in the next couple of years, this Alpha Towery Red Bull relationship, and obviously we're not talking about Red Bull now, but, 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 they are very much making the noises of whatever they're called next year, racing balls. I pray it's not racing balls, but it looks like it's going to be. You know, I could you know write all day about what an awful name that is. Anyway, all the noise coming out of the camp is, oh, we're not going to be a, a second team anymore. You know, we're, we're here to compete. We want to do this, this, that, and the other. While simultaneously bringing their operations closer together, saying that they're going to take as many parts and development points of information, whatever you want to, I don't know how to describe it, from Red Bull at the same time. So they're saying one thing whilst doing another. It's obviously a, a tried and tested media technique. I think for Liam Lawson, 
the best thing that could that the best thing for him that is happening is Honda and Aston Martin coming together. Because Yuki Tsunoda has been heavily backed by Honda throughout his junior career. Obviously, Honda have been um, supplying Avatari and Red Bull for a while. If there's an opening at Aston Martin, it could well be Yuki Tsunoda that goes. Opening up a seat. But also, you've got to consider, is Daniel Ricciardo going to get promoted? What is going to happen there? Liam Lawson surely is close to a seat. Emu Owasa is on the cusp, but they don't seem to want to give him that track time. They gave it to Isaac Hadjar over the season in Aftari, which is, again is a little bit puzzling to yeah. me. So it's it's actually such an interesting tapestry to look at their driver lineups moving forward. It's a real kind of watch this space area. And yeah, Ollie, you're absolutely right. Liam Lawson absolutely earned his flowers this season. I'm really pleased with the guy because yeah, he had a really um, he was un- he's been unlucky a lot in his you know especially in F2 last year he had a much better season than than the final standings suggested. Yeah. So yeah, I know I, I feel like I would have Lawson in that seat. Um, Lawson and Ricardo, yeah, right? It just seems the. I don't know because Snowden. I mean, Snowden's been here. I mean, I mean, we can do our, our preseason prediction show, but Snowden's been here for a while now. He's not wowed anyone. Yeah. Um, you know what you need is you need your development man, which is Daniel Ricciardo, to drive the team forward and, and, and work on how to get the best out of the car. And then you have got Liam Lawson, the cool kid in the background, to just go and drive the the wheels off it. Well, this was kind of sort of my point is that you take Snowden out of the equation because of Honda and Aston Martin. Mm. And you also, maybe prematurely, maybe unfairly, you take Sergio Perez out of the equation. <laughs> the, I think the... the I think the... And that obviously frees up seats for AlphaTauri drivers to move up. Maybe they go... Red Bull go for a Norris or someone like that and maybe it kind of, you know, it ends up being, you know, Snowder out, Lawson in and as simple as that. But yeah, I, I kind of feel you stumbled upon it. You didn't stumble upon it. You rightly points out that Ricardo is very key for development. He's mm. a very experienced driver. That's exactly why Roman Grosjean stuck around at Haas for so long, because he was brilliant at moving the car forward. Yes, he had a mistake in him, and so yeah, it's maybe Daniel Ricardo is the the key there that unlocks Sonoda or the other driver being afforded the opportunity to get those results. Mm, okay. All right. I think we've covered AlphaTauri. Abby, any any closing thoughts on AlphaTauri before we move on? No, I think you two have summed it up pretty nicely. We'll just have to wait and see which drivers they do decide to stick with going forward after 2024. I feel like we didn't really review their season. We got no. too, uh, too caught up in there. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologise. In the interest of time and the fact that uh, James McKenzie has just turned up to this studio, we are going to take, <laughs> take a short pause and then he has just turned up for the Formula Nerds quiz. So he'll be very happy about this. We will be back in just a moment. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So before we start the quiz, James McKenzie, he's he's turned up. He's made it. He's Hello. made it here, but he can only be here for a few minutes. So James, <laughs> what on earth is going on? By the way, how are you? Nice to see you. It's been a while. But are you yeah. all right? I, I am all right. Uh, it's been quite a day. To cut a long story short, basically, the, the French are on strike, as is tradition. And the, uh, the delivery drivers for petrol uh, are striking because uh, apparently they want to put cameras in the cabs. They don't like that. So they stopped delivering petrol. I didn't know that. I've just been like trying to get petrol for a few days and it ended up with me actually... On, well, my range was zero kilometres, so I had to abandon my car at work, get a taxi home, and then walk to a petrol station with a jerry can, carry petrol back to a friend's house, borrow their car, and uh, then make my way to my car and drop the car back. And here I am, straight off that <laughs> oh God. Uh, end of that story. And but, uh, and it's very uh, shortly the quiz. And very shortly, you, you need to put a child to bed as well. So well, yes. <laughs> You so may be okay. here in the background, so I apologise to that uh, listener. I, that's the case. I could hear a bit of crying. I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was your soul or not. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, we'll enjoy the ten minutes we got you for, James. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Abby for the end of season Formula Nerds quiz. Part one. questions all based on the first half of the season answer quickly some of them have multiple choice so let's see how we do question one in order of when they occurred name the race venues from race one bahrain to race 12 hungary bahrain wait so the name the like the track or name the country the country okay oh saudi arabia australia mm-hmm. azerbaijan mm-hmm Miami. Not Imola. <laughs> no. Yeah. Little l- 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 impromptu break. Monaco, Spain. Canada, Austria, Britain, Hungary, Belgium. You actually gave me one more than I asked for. But one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what? Okay. No point. Yeah. I'm into the summer break. <laughs> Okay, question two. Not that this race was dull, but during it, Alonso was watching the TV screens and he praised his teammate Stroll for an overtake. What race was this? I mean, I feel like he's always saying something, isn't he? Uh, Was it Miami? Correct. Well done. Question three. 
Name every driver who finished on the podium up to and including Hungary. Max Verstappen. <laughs> Max Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton. That's easy, yep. Echo Perez. Fernando Alonso. George Russell. Charles Leclerc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlos didn't get one in the first half, I don't think, did he? No. He did didn't. you say Alonso? You've you got did, two yeah. more. Esteban Ocon. Yeah. Um, have you said Russell? I said Russell. And. Oh. Have we not said. Lando Norris. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well done. Now, question four. As you've just established, Esteban Ocon did get a podium in the first half of the season. What race did he get a podium at? Monaco. Yes. See, you guys are doing really well on this quiz, so it's really quick. Question five. In what race did Verstappen take victory and make it 100 race wins for Red Bull? Mm. Mm. What are they on now? All I know is that it wasn't... It wasn't the Saudi Arabian or the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. <laughs> I feel like it was Miami, but I could races. be completely wrong. It's not Miami. Let's go one more stab in the dark with Canada. Correct. <laughs> there is no darkness with James. He knows. <laughs> I know oh, it's darkness. a pretty bad day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, question six. Now, this one, there is multiple choice. Across the first 12 rounds, what is the total number of corners a driver negotiates in order to complete one lap of each circuit? A, 184 corners. B, 198. C, 203. D, 217. Or E, 220. This is like the Ferrari strategies, isn't it? Abby, I have have a question for you. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Do you think of these questions yourself, or do you get them from from somewhere else? Because this this might be the most ludicrous question you've ever asked. (laughs) I come up with them and my dad helps me. So we do actually. (laughs) You're so creative. I didn't. I've got to be honest, I didn't fully understand the question. Right, so uh, basically, across the first half of the season, so the first 12 races, so up to Hungary. Add every single corner of every single track together and what number do you get if you're completing one lap of each? One lap, right, okay. That was a bit through me. B. 198? Mm. No. Oh, come it's, on. It's so convincing. <laughs> it was all just that. One in five chance. Wait, so Wait, there was an 12... E. Wait, there is it e. the 12 races? There was an E. 11 12 races, ra- sorry. 12, 12. races. This okay. is including Imola. I know they didn't race there, right? Okay. But it is including Imola. Well, that so, changes everything, Abby. <laughs> so we're just let's just average out. So you're probably like 16, 17 say corners. 16, probably, yeah. So twelve times 16, 192. Was that an option? Oh God, it James's wasn't. brain works fast. <laughs> so hundred. Well, maybe maybe mine works slow. One hundred and ninety-eight, which is wrong, as Ollie said it. Okay. Two hundred and three. 217 or 220? 203. Mm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that. I mean, Ollie Ollie massively helped me in working out what it might be because I was like, well, if Ollie's gone 198, what's the nearest one to that? Yeah. Okay, question seven. Name the circuit with the highest number of corners from the first 12 rounds. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Do you know how many corners it has? Mm, too many. 26, 27. 
27. I, I only know that because I was playing it on the F1 game yesterday. I was like, but there are so many corners on this track. <laughs> Question eight. Name the circuit with the lowest number of corners. Austria. Yeah. Like, I haven't yeah, got that far yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question nine. In the Hungarian Grand Prix, how many drivers finished the race not lapped by race winner Max Verstappen? I reckon it's around the five or six mark. Five or six? I'm going to say nine. I'd go with Sam's answer, because that's correct. <laughs> Question ten. Following on with Hungary, which driver finished tenth, scoring a point, but was lapped? Valtteri Bottas. No. Because no. we mentioned <laughs> earlier that he came twelfth. That oh, drove yeah. by and you came sixteenth. <laughs> Um, oh, Oscar Piastri. No, he came fifth. It was Lance Stroll. Oh, fair. Fair. Question well, 11. In Austria, track limits were more of an issue than elsewhere. Only two drivers escaped questioning, with the race result not being finalised until about five hours after the race. Thank you, Aston Martin. How many track limit infringements were noted in total? Oh, it was something like a thousand or something. Yeah, it was over a thousand. I'll give you that. There was multiple choice, and one of the answers was 1,200 to 1,300, which is basically your answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was... So was it, uh, Max and Joe, were they the two? Funnily enough, final question. The next question. <laughs> name the two drivers who didn't get track limits. Joe's correct. Max isn't. Ah. Come on, Mr. I'm going to go as far off the track as possible and then you can't get past me this way. He doesn't need to when no one's near him. (laughs) I thought I remembered it was, yeah. Like, I I thought it was like, oh yeah, Max, well, that's predictable and then Joe was the curveball, but clearly not. I can't remember. Well, Mr. Consistent. (laughs) Right, well, let's take, should we take a guess? Fernando Alonso. No. Ollie gets a guess and I get a guess and then if we don't get it yeah okay. don't get it. I will go Before with you guess. Pierre Gasly no alright do you want to win Sam <laughs> uh, Lando Norris no okay it was George Russell uh, <laughs> you idiots <laughs> so you got 10 out of 12 plus an extra point for the bonus point so well done well, thank you very much, Abby. That is the end of part one of the um, 2023 season quiz. So James has left the building to tend to his um, son and put him to bed. So it is back to the three of us, uh, Sam, Abby and myself. Um, moving on to seventh position, we are going to review Williams, who finished the season with three points more than Alpha Tauri. So they finished on 28 points. Uh, Logan Sargent finished the season in 21st position with one point. Um, and Alex Albon, a fantastic season for him. 13th, he finished with 27 points. Where would we like to start here? I feel like there's only one place to start, which is Sam talking about Logan Sargent. After Sam points out that no one's going to believe that we actually recorded the quiz in order and it wasn't a separate segment because James was there for, what, 10 minutes. But anyway, back to Logan Sargent, my favourite topic of conversation. I gave him a five and a half out of 10 for his season rating when I did his season review. 
I think he had a better season than a lot of people were given credit for. I think people see him as a continuation of Nicholas Latifi, and I think that is disingenuous and unfair. I also think that people paint him as the same brush, as I've already said in this podcast, as Zhou Guanyu, because they quite simply didn't watch or understand enough of his junior career. This is a driver who was held back in F3 through budgetary reasons. He basically couldn't fund an F2 seat when his peers moved up. That was after a year in which he had ran Oscar Piastri very close to the F3 title, came third, table chair, just pips him to second. He had to be held back. It had to, he took a seat with Sharuz, which, as you know, if you watch F2 and F3, you know that Sharuz, PHM, whatever they're, they're called in this current guys, are not a strong team. In fact, they are a perennial backmarker in those series. He managed to take a race win for them. So I think it's disingenuous to suggest that Logan Sargent isn't as quick as I think he as 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 I think he has proved to be. I think if you look at the fact that he's gone from F3 to F2 to F1 in a very short amount of time, he hasn't really had a time had a chance to kind of stop and settle. And that is what Williams are trying to afford him. They're trying to give him that opportunity to build some confidence up, further his understanding and his knowledge of the car, so on and so forth. That is why it's so critical that he's getting a second season. So yeah, I think there is some really strong bits to look at his season. He's undeniably quick. He has that pace. He has what he needs in that area. He needs to be more consistent. He needs to make fewer mistakes. No one is denying that. Particularly unforced errors like track limits and just silly little kind of, you know, like the Australian Grand Prix where he ended up taking, I can't remember who it was, taking someone out of the race. And yeah, tra- track limits being a big thing. How many qualifying sessions have we seen him have a lap time deleted and therefore not getting through in a car that is quick enough to do so? All you need to do is look at how Albon has performed this year to say that there's a long way for him to go. But I think he is absolutely deserving of keeping his seat because I think it is important for the sport that drivers give him more time than they currently are. Mm. Uh, he's also the only American driver on, on on the grid at the moment, which does go in his favour to have an American driver. Um, he was out-qualified in every every single uh, race of the season um, by Alex Albon. Now, the gap... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it felt like the gap to Albon was closer at the start of the season. And um, as the season carried on, it felt like Sargent started to make more mistakes while Alex Albon was getting to grips with the Williams. Um, Now, whether that's experience or not, we need to say, wow, Alex Albon, what a star. Um, His season was absolutely fantastic. And... You know, we always talk about, is it the car? Is it the driver? Is is the driver out driving the car? I think we can all agree on the fact that Alex Albon was out driving that Williams all season. Abby, what are, what are your thoughts? Well, last year, Williams were 10th in the constructors on eight points. They scored 20 more points this year, 27 of them coming from Albon. I think... I, first of all, with Sam, I agree that Sargent staying at Williams is the right decision. I think it would have been very unfair and rather harsh to get rid of him and put another driver in that seat. So I'm glad he has stayed because I think both Albon and Sargent thrive in a team like Williams. And with James Vowles coming in, 
James Vowles has brought a lot to the team as team principal coming from Mercedes. He has done a great job. They still have a long way to go, but they have improved from from past seasons. And Albon, especially, like you say, Ollie, 27 points. He has done some amazing races and results this year. And it's just really good to see. And as an F1 fan, you kind of feel proud of Williams because of their history in the sport. And they have had years where they have suffered and it has been very challenging for them. But they're now finding their feet. Albon is definitely more comfortable at Williams and in the team. Sergeant, I was a bit sceptical at the beginning of the season because we did see him crack under pressure a little bit in the final few races of F2. He needed those super license points and he had a string of retirements, but he managed to get them. He's now in F1. He is developing. He's learning. And that's what your rookie season should be all about. You should be able to stay and develop and learn. So then one day he can reach Albon's level and Williams will have an incredibly strong lineup. They have a great team principal. It's a great team. And I just can't wait to see what they do next year with Sargent having spent a year with Williams, Albon having spent a year with Williams, both learning, both developing, the cars improving. I feel like 2024 could be an even better year than 2023 for them. Absolutely. I think if you look at this show, when you're reviewing the bottom five teams in the Constructors' Championship. And it's quite nicely kind of done this year where you've got five teams that are obviously the top five teams and then you've got five teams below. It is almost a kind of different class. I think Williams is the only team out of the bottom five who can look at their season and be like, you know, I'm happy with that. That's actually a positive season. We've taken a real obvious step forward. And yes, I mean, for me, Ollie, I know you said that you feel like Liam Lawson is your driver of the season. For me, it's Alex Albon. The way that he has responded to where he was in terms of, he obviously didn't look confident, didn't look comfortable, um, was kind of cast aside by the Rebel program. How rejuvenated and renewed he has looked at Williams has been absolutely phenomenal to watch. And he is proving that he has still the determination and the pace needed to be successful in Formula One. He's, yeah, he's my drive of the season, absolutely. And I think if you just look at that team and you look at what James Vowles has done from the kind of, you know, being the anti-Red Bull in that sense of, you know, we don't want to just cast aside a driver who isn't performing. We want to develop him. We want to invest in them to the fact that when mistakes happen, you almost know that you're going to get to see a social media post from from Williams where James Vowles is sitting there going, right, let me talk through why Alex Albon had that mistake in, in Australia, why he crashed. Because actually, it wasn't completely his fault. There's more to it. We didn't pre- help him prep the tyres and there was you know, some other things at play. The level of transparency is something to absolutely praise because they're just they're, they're they're bringing the fans, and this is what this era of Formula One is is becoming is fan engagement. You know, access to drivers and access to kind of you know content that you want to see. Knowing the personalities as much as you know knowing the racing, they are opening opening the door for fans, and they are making it accessible, and they are 
being very, very upfront. They're not hiding behind things. They're owning up when they make mistakes and they're being kind of really honest about it. They're being open. You know, one thing that you often see is when a team have a bad result or a driver makes a mistake, they don't talk about it. They don't post about it. Yeah, they do their their, their pre-race media, so on and so forth, but that's it. That's done. We're not bringing any more attention to it. Williams don't do that. Williams are very, very open and upfront about it. So yeah, I think actually, as part of a wider tapestry, they've had a really successful season, both on the track and off. Yeah, I think I think Sam, we the, the open and honest um, approach is very. It, it's good to see you. You can you can see what's going on at the team, and I think yeah. they're on an upwards trajectory where. You know yep. they're, they're they're building, they're investing, and they do have two good drivers. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Sam. I don't. This, oh, 100% agree with everything you've said about Logan Sargent. Um, but I think Alex Albon is a is a true star, and I, I'd like yep. to see Logan Sargent become that. Um, should yep. he be given the time and the opportunity to do so? And if you get both of those drivers on point and the car on point, you know, five ten years. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If Sergeant has another season like he did this year, he shouldn't keep his seat for 2026 mm. or 2025. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He shouldn't keep his seat for 2025. He needs to do more. Do not let do not let that message not get across. He absolutely does. But I think it's about giving him time and building his confidence up and letting him basically fulfill his potential. Yeah. So moving on to the last team we're going to review on this episode, um, which is the sixth place finisher, Alpine. Now, there is a 92-point gap between Williams and Alpine. So it is a monumental jump. Um, Esteban Ocon finished the championship in 12th with 58 points, and Pierre Gasly finished in 11th with 62 points. So this ended up being a really evenly matched driver pairing and there was all this talk about those two together um how do you guys think they got on um and alpine it's been a very interesting season for alpine with all of these celebrity investors or or, or partners whatever we want to call them it's it feels like a bit of a, a roller coaster with alpine this year see to me it doesn't it doesn't because they are so far ahead of williams yeah so far behind McLaren like they cemented themselves themselves as sixth in the constructors and it it kind of feels like a lonely season for them in terms of the team if you focus on the team looking at where they are compared to the others they are solidly sixth obviously having gone backwards from fourth in 2022 and there was no one really around them and when you look at the drivers yes there was all this talk about would Ocon and Gasly get on because there's been animosity between them in the past. And we didn't really see much of that, I don't think, conveyed off track or on track. And interestingly, Ocon is the driver with the most DNFs this season. I thought it would have been Sergeant, but Ocon has one more in eight. And they had a good season. Obviously, there were, there were strong comments for them to pick themselves up and get those good results because their early results were not good enough. They did have a couple of weekends, I think it was Silverstone and Hungary, where both drivers DNF'd consecutively, which obviously is not a great look. But yes, they have had um, new investors, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, NFL players, a golfer, 
lots of new people coming to the team. They're <laughs> Sam's laughing at me. Why are you laughing at me? Just poor poor Rory McElroy. <laughs> I could remember the NFL players. I couldn't remember the names of the others. But yeah. Um but no, I feel like they didn't really have as much to give this year as they did last year because McLaren's improvement and development was huge and Alpine just couldn't keep up. I think they took a real step back, if I'm being honest. Losing Fernando Alonso is always going to hurt. I think Pierre Gasly was a great catch and clearly they've got a pretty even and I think a fairly strong lineup. Right, yeah, you've got two drivers who are not hugely young anymore, but I think they've got still got room to grow. They've still there's still more that they will, will and can do in this sport. But for me, they scored what fifty three points fewer than they did last year. They stepped down from P four to P six in the championship. This is a season when the gulf between the top five and the bottom five grew hugely and that's why you're seeing lower points totals down the bottom because obviously the top five teams are you know siphoning off the vast majority of those points but they just didn't capitalize on basically where they were last year they allowed aston martin in the first instance and then mclaren later on to get the better of them in the development race to the point now that they're on the outside looking in. I said at the start of the season, if you've got four strong teams, obviously taking McLaren out of the equation for a second, if you've got four strong teams with Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull, you are potentially, on races when there's good reliability, scraping together three, maybe four points if you can. Obviously, reliability and poor form and off weekends come into it. And we saw that a lot from Aston Martin in the second half of the season, as well as McLaren in the first half. And you can start to accumulate points. And they did. And that was what separates them from the bottom four teams. But given their resources, given the infrastructure at the team, given the drivers, they are underperforming. They are, it feels like the operation is messy, it's convoluted, it's confused. And they really are not living up to the potential or the investment that's been put into that team. They are falling short of every single goal that they have set. And this is why certain teams like Williams are saying, like, we don't set goals like that because you're just going to disappoint yourself. So for me, it's it's not good enough. They need to up their game. And could you imagine if we had six teams that were right at that level? And, and on their weekend, they can be, and they are up there with the third or fourth best, or fourth or fifth best team on the grid. But yeah, it just, I don't know. They, they feel like they're in no man's land. And you look at the table, and that confirms that. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it took till round 10 for McLaren to get the jump on them. So they they were pretty evenly matched. I mean, I'm saying that where it's pretty dismal, well, sort of average performance, right? Until McLaren took off. Um, but the average finishing position for Alpine was, well, 9.8, so call it 10th. Average finishing position for McLaren over the season was 8.4, so call it 8th. Um, it's just proof of how much McLaren just shot off into the distance, really. And Alpine just stayed exactly where they were. They could have been in that battle. Exactly. And I think that is, again, partly because there's so much politics and so much public politics at play. Like, um, 
you know, around the, the Monaco Grand Prix when you've got, you know, you've got f- very public firings and hirings and and you've got Lauren Rossi kind of openly saying the team needs to do more, credit to, the, credit to how they responded with a podium in the next race, fair enough. But this is, it feels like a really disappointing year for the team. But when I look at the drivers, I think Ocon was was very, very unlucky. He got basically Alonso's bad luck transferred to Ocon when he left the team. And it could have been a much, much stronger season had he had, you know, few retirements. Pierre Gasly settled in well, and I think they they're in good stead moving forward. They're both got podiums. Like, you know, that's not bad. And this shows that actually that, you know, side note that the regulations are working because, you know, we want a long, a deep, a deep list of podium finishes across the grid. I think if they can start to kind of get their act together as a team, I think you give the platform to two very, very capable drivers to move on up through, through the grid and get better and better results. I think that's the thing. Ocon and Gasly, like you say, Sam, they are incredibly talented. It is just at this point in time, Alpine isn't where it should be. They have taken a step back. They have fallen back from their performance from last year. And McLaren's upgrades didn't help them. They they are far away from McLaren, but far ahead of Williams. So they are definitely like the midfield team, I would say. And hopefully in 2024, they can improve on what they have this year because they did get podiums. It would be great to see them get podiums again next year and have those strong races. I think Laurent Rossi's comments did give them a kick up the bum that was needed, but it didn't sustain it. They didn't sustain it all the way through the rest of the season. And that's what they need to do, sustain those good results because they are capable of getting them. Yeah, it certainly feels for for Alpine that it's that there's two key words that stick out to me, which are reliability and stability. And if, I think if they've got those two things together, they will be you know much closer to Aston Martin, who got 280 points. And that's where I feel that they should be around there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. And also, we had so many expectations of this explosive driver pairing between two guys who don't particularly like each other from from all accounts and what that could mean. And if that doesn't ignite, which it hasn't, what that kind of tells me is, A, yeah, maybe they're being mature and they've kind of grown up and they've buried the hatchet. Fantastic. But B, they haven't been delivered a car that makes them want to go into battle with each other because you have to benchmark yourself against your teammate. The first job you have to do is beat your teammate. And that hasn't been a big problem for them. It hasn't been like, you know, one driver at the other one. Mm. And that will come once the team gets to where it should be. Well, yeah, the, the way I see that, Sam, is I feel like they're both just sticking together and trying to ride this storm out because, you know, all the team personnel, they're all changing. It, feel, it almost feels like they're the only consistency in that team and almost like, right, you and me, we, we've got to hold this team together because there's no one else to do it. Exactly. And we always kind of said that we thought Aston Martin would be the team to break into that top three. We then obviously saw that whilst they initially looked like they had, it turns out it is more likely going to be McLaren moving forward. The team in the midfield from last season that really isn't accounted for, discussed, and therefore 
have clearly done something wrong for the, the fact that they weren't previously in the conversation or looking to be in the, f- the conversation in the future is Alpine. They have missed the opportunity completely. And that isn't isn't good enough or where they expect it to be. Okay, so that was Alpine. We've done the bottom five teams. On the next episode, we will do the top five teams, starting with Aston Martin, as I've just hinted, on 280 points, which is more than double what Alpine got in sixth place. Um, thank you very much for joining me, guys. Abby, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. It has. It's been good to see both of you and James only briefly after the season. So, yeah, thank you. Indeed, and uh, thank you very much, Sam. Thank you. Although I don't think it was good to only see James briefly, um, Abby. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm, j- I'm joking. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun as ever. Um, it's been it's, it's always nice to at the end of the season to kind of you know um, regroup and have a bit of time off, which we have done. But yeah, I've I've missed it. So yeah, thank you very much. Good. Well, we will be back for part two very soon. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. Listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go! Sports Social Podcast Network.